Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Professor Sheila Jensenoff will join us to discuss the ethics of invention. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question a week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Science Show. Well, society frequently ungraces technological solutions, but there's oftentimes a complex connection between technology, ethics, and human rights. Well, exploring this issue is Professor Sheila Jasanoff. Professor Jasanoff is a professor of science and technology studies at the Harvard Kennedy School. She's the author of numerous books on technology, most recently Science and Public Reason and Design of Nature. Her recent book, The Ethics of Invention, Technology, and the Human Future, explores this issue for a general audience. And Professor Jasanoff, I'm very pleased to welcome you today to the Grok Science Show. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. Well, certainly our pleasure. Certainly a very fascinating book you've written, The Ethics of Invention. Uh, I'm curious, why did you decide to write this book? Well, it's a, a truism that we're living in a world that's full of technology. It's very difficult to do any, even the most ordinary thing that we commonly uh, carry out on a daily basis without relying on some technological invention or another. Uh, it's a, we're also in a period when many of the technological inventions we've produced in the past are coming together to produce new kinds of uh, future possibilities that were not imaginable before, like extending our memories, connecting us to ever wider audiences, um, altering the the expectations of life, prolonging life possibly by as much as a couple of decades in the near future. So it seems a very good time to stop and reflect on how we live with our technologies as well. Is it the case that those who are coming up with the technologies don't have this as part of their purview in society? Certainly they don't think their technology is going to have any unintended consequences. Well, um, let's come back to unintended consequences, which almost by definition were not in the minds of people, and so they weren't intending them. I would actually say that inventors of technology often have a very good and clear idea of what they're trying to do. I don't think technology inventors would be motivated without a strong sense that they're bettering the human condition in various ways. So one of the challenges in writing a book of this kind is how to respect that goodwill and desire for betterment that is in the minds of inventors, and yet to point out that other people, too, have a stake in those inventions, and the inventor may not always be in the best position to judge the nature of the technology and its future evolution um, in the way that a broader societal outlook might. So then who should bear this responsibility, and uh, how should technologies then be sort of evaluated? Well, I approach that question in the book by saying that the that the responsibility for thinking about how to live with technology 
belongs to everybody. I make an analogy. I say that technology appears in our lives in the same way that laws do. Um, people in democratic societies are absolutely convinced that they should have a say in the kinds of laws that govern them. They haven't felt in the past like they should have the same kind of say about the technologies that should govern them. So you could think of the book as a kind of two-step exercise. In the first step, I'm saying learn to think about technologies in the same way that you think about politics and law, that this is an a democratic um, choice that we're making through technology, but we don't always have the democratic means to express ourselves. And the second thing that I want to do with the book, or wanted to do with the book, is alert people to some of very conventional ways of thinking about technology that I think make people less active and willing to take on a role in managing technology in their own lives. Is part of this just an understanding of the various technologies? Certainly, in order to make a wise choice, you have to understand something of how the technology fundamentally works. Yes, absolutely. That's part of the reason why the book is organized in chapters that are focusing on particular technologies, most notably biotechnology and information technologies, which are two of the most transforming frontiers of development that are currently confronting us. But I'm also trying to show that cutting through all areas of technology are certain ideas that have kept people from getting deeply involved in debating technology and thinking about how they might exert more of a role in governing technology. So what do you think are some of the biggest barriers then? One of the ideas that I talk about is technological determinism. Technological determinism is the idea that once we've put a technology at people's fingertips, then of course they're going to use them in certain ways. Uh, One can think of some very widespread examples of this sort. For instance, that if you put mobile phones into people's hands, that's going to cause them to become participants in social media. This is going to open up democratic horizons and expand debate. Well, it turns out that if you really look in detail at the ways in which societies and also individuals are using information technologies, this is uh, this expectation that it's always going to democratize. It's just not true. And so then we should stop and think, why is it that it's not true? And it might, for instance, um, alert us to the fact that the information technologies we use are not just ways for us to express ourselves, but also for others to keep track of us, which is something that people were not thinking about when the frontiers of the cyber world first opened up before us. It's really more uh, who can access the technology, who can uh, sort of use it uh, in a way that's perhaps undemocratic. It's certainly about who can access it. That's one of the major things I talk about because people, societies that are at technology's frontiers are certainly much better placed. Societies that are, are still living with what we call earlier generation technologies. And I think it's a problem for the world in the future that the different positions that people occupy in relation to that technological frontier might handicap the the extent to which entire societies are able to participate in a development. So to talk about a very concrete example, we have today the ability to edit pieces of the human genome in such a way that we can remove very um, precise inherited malfunctions 
that can be life-threatening, that can cause, uh, that are responsible for causing uh, serious human diseases, incurable human diseases. But with this technology, we can also, quote, edit, unquote, away uh, things that some societies don't approve of. I mean, for instance, this could be about uh, skin color or it could be about intelligence levels. So there's a worldwide concern potentially about this technology that, or this set of technologies that allow us on the one hand to be very precise in getting rid of some of the things that we don't want, but at the same time they put power into our hands to choose and pick what kind of people we should be. As yet, the debate about genome editing is mostly happening in the North and the West, where the technologies themselves developed. It's a huge challenge for humanity to think about how to involve people who were not doing that kind of research, who have not been involved in research to manipulate biological materials for already 30 or 40 years. And I think that one of the purposes of the book is to call attention to these problems without necessarily saying this is the solution. So certainly some of these types of issues have existed. Certainly technological developments have been around that have had similar ethical implications. Are they different now because the technology is becoming more specific? Well, of course, I think that uh, if this book had been written 50 years ago, it would have been timely. And if it had been written 50 years from now, it would still be timely because I don't think we've been reflecting on technology long enough and hard enough for a very long time. But you're quite right to suggest uh, that there are particular things happening now that make some of these problems uh, more immediate. So one of, the, one of the specific observations is that we live in a time when people are talking about convergent technologies. Uh, it's not just that we can do one thing in the biological domain and another thing in the information domain and still other thing, another thing in the material science domain. All of these things are coming together. We can min miniaturize to an extent that we couldn't before. We can do robotics and artificial intelligence in ways that we could not do before. And of course, we understand more and more about human and other biological systems as the genetics revolution keeps on progressing. So the possibilities of combining to change things that we previously thought were out of reach are facing us, I think, with an intensity that they did not uh, say in the immediate aftermath of World War II. By and large, the individuals then who are dealing with these ethical issues, are, are they primarily the, the technologists themselves or, or are policymakers uh, beginning to become involved? How is this beginning to be policed? No, I think that the ethical issues are being debated on quite a lot of different fronts. Um, one of the one of the obvious bodies or more groups of people who are thinking about this are professional ethicists themselves. Um, and as I suggested, inside of uh, technological uh, companies and, and sites of, of innovation, there are many people who think about ethical issues. Uh, so it's not that we have a dearth of people concerned about things. One thing that is still the case is that people are not looking at the cross-cutting questions. 
uh, they tend to be focused on very specific technologies. So, for instance, there's a, obviously a frontier of knowledge that has opened up in our understanding of the brain. We've had successive U.S. presidents announce that there should be research projects on the brain. President Obama has his own such initiative. With these initiatives and with other advances in science, we know a lot more about the brain than we did you know, again, a generation ago. So there's a group of ethicists who call themselves neuroethicists, and they focus on ethical issues connected with the brain. There are people who focus on ethical issues connected with privacy and the Internet and social media. There are people who focus on ethical issues that are connected with nanomaterials and the use of such materials in in um, commodities that um, may have environmental impacts. There are ethicists who deal with the environmental implications of many advanced technologies. My own view is that some of these ethical questions don't go quite deep enough because they ride to some extent on the backs of particular sciences and technologies. And I think we should step back a little and ask some more general questions about how technologies together are transforming our world and what kinds of citizens we want to be vis-a-vis -vis those technologies. What would you like to see happen in terms of, of addressing these sort of bigger picture issues? One of the things I'd like to see is perspectives on technology governance and the ethics of technology being incorporated into the ways in which we teach children in school and, for that matter, advanced students in, in universities and beyond. I think that we need to cultivate the same kind of understanding in relation to technology as a vehicle of governance that we have developed over a couple of thousand years about law and politics. The political theory often traces itself back to you know, Plato and uh, then jumps forward to people in the period of the scientific revolution and the enlightenment, but that's still a couple of hundred years back. We are now living through what some people call the fourth technological revolution, and yet we don't have comparable understandings of human societies as they relate to technology. So I think that part of the answer has to be that we start cultivating a, a, a mode of citizenship that is far more alert to the ways in, in which technologies affect us. I can give you a very, very simple, straightforward example that I use sometimes in my classes. I talk about it in the book as well. There's um, an intersection right near my office where they put in a traffic light a few years ago. That traffic light has one of these countdown mechanisms where you're seeing the seconds ticking by, and it begins with 19 seconds. And I ask my classes, you know, where did those 19 seconds come from? It's astonishing. Most of them have never even thought about it. One day I was crossing the street and quite dangerously a guy came running up to me and said, Professor Jasanov, it's not 25. And, you know, here I'm trying to get across as quickly as possible. And I wondered what on earth he was talking about. And he said, well, it's not 25 seconds, it's 19. I said, I, <laughs> I don't think I misspoke. I talked about 19 seconds because it meant that he had really picked up this point and it was the very first time he had thought about it. Then I I asked them to think about how they might 
react if that number was the wrong number. So supposing somebody who was disabled or quite old was trying to cross the intersection and didn't make it across fast enough, where would such a person go to have recourse? And, you know, everyday homely examples like that bring home to people that there's an awful lot in the technological world that they simply take for granted. And yet there are decision makers back of them, there's power behind them, there's ethics behind them. That's the sort of uh, eye-opening exercise I'm hoping the book will engage in. To get people to think a little bit more about where their technologies come from and how it can impact uh, not just their life, but the society. <laughs> yes, rather. <laughs> yeah. um, all right. Well, this is a certainly fascinating book. Unfortunately, we're running slightly out of time. I'm just curious if you have some maybe some uh, final words regarding the whole issue of, you know, the ethics of invention. Well, what I want to say about the ethics of invention is that Invention is a moment when we're not transforming just the material world or the biological world, but our sense of values, how we think about futures and what kinds of futures we think are good futures, and also, by the same token, what kinds of futures we don't want to bring about. I think the idea of unintended consequences that we talked about briefly a minute ago um, is actually a sort of dangerous idea because it suggests that bad things are just unintended and therefore we may as well shelve them. I think we should be thinking about the good and the bad together. Ethical thinking has both sides implicated in it, thinking about the good but also about the undesirable. And if I can make a slight dent in people's feelings that where they never thought there were good, bad choices involved, now they have some concepts and some examples with which they can start those conversations. I don't think this book has been very worthwhile. The new book is called The Ethics of Invention, Technology, and the Human Future. The author, Professor Sheila Jasanoff. And Professor Jasanoff, I want to thank you very much for joining us today on the Grox Science Show. Thank you once again. I was delighted okay. to join you. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.